0: Good evening and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tim and Tom. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm uh, tired, um, but I'm very well, Tom. I think you'll know there's been a new signing in my family. Uh, She uh, came in at 52 centimetres, 2.91 kilograms. Uh, there's been a baby, a, our first baby in the family. It's not football related, but she did watch her first Arsenal game uh, with less than uh, two days of age. And of course it was a loss, but um, I didn't stop her getting back for the Real Madrid match later in the week. So, Tom, I'm incredibly well, um, and I'm sure you are incredibly well, too, for different reasons. Am I right?
1: You are right, yes. Uh, as you touched upon last week, uh, my football club is in their first European final since 1976. So that's that's even older than I am, Tim. I wasn't born until after that, so I'm delighted.
0: Yeah, I bet you are, Tom. I bet you are. And we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, it's been another one of those uh, late-in-the-season weeks where every night of the week there's been some great football. Um, the big match, of course... Uh, was it with the, Was the match in the Champions League the second leg between Manchester City at home to Real Madrid after the one all draw at the Bernabeu, and that's where we're going to start, um, Tom? I must admit, I. We, we made predictions last week and you predicted with your head and I predicted with my heart and your head was right. Uh, Manchester City were too strong for Real Madrid and um, I think Real Madrid, it was just one miracle too much for them. Uh, after last season's run in the Champions League, they did have a lot of luck on their side and it felt like their luck had run out. Um it was a total domination, Tom, and it did actually make me feel a little bit better about Arsenal not winning the league because I think now the world understands what this Manchester City side is. And Tom, you've seen some dominant performances over the years, as you've referenced there. You are a bit long in the tooth, which means uh, old, but don't get me wrong. I'm the same age as you, so I can't I can't criticise too much. Um But yeah, Tom, you know what it's like when Manchester City uh, are playing their best football. It's like they suffocate the opposition. um, And it really was one of those performances.
1: Very interesting, Tim. Uh, Thinking from an English perspective, of course, you and I both remember the era of Manchester United's dominance under Alec Ferguson, which included some European success as well. But you never saw the Manchester United team's dominate, uh, suffocate other teams through possession of the ball the way that this Manchester City team does. Uh, is that what happened? Uh, did they keep the ball away from those uh, fantastically talented Real Madrid midfielders, Modric, Cruz, Valverde?
0: Well, they did. In fact, I, I would after this match, I would question about their uh, fantastic quality. But I'll give you some t- statistics which really summarise how one-sided this game was. Just for any of our listeners who have been living in a cave for the last week, the match ended 4-0 to Manchester City, 5-1 on aggregate over the two games. But after 15 minutes, Tom, uh, Real Madrid had completed 13 passes, so less than one a minute, and Manchester City had completed 124 passes. In that same time period, the first 15 minutes, six Real Madrid players hadn't completed a pass or... Or attempted a pass. So realistically, in that first 15 minutes, you're looking at only five players in the Real Madrid side who actually managed to make a pass stick. And when when I say to make a pass stick, it means to uh, to make it to make a successful pass, to complete the pass. And in that time. Um, Courtois, the Real Madrid goalkeeper made two absolutely crucial saves from Erling Haaland. The first one was uh, a result of very good anticipation and positioning. Uh, he was in the right place for a Haaland header that uh, that but it came off his body uh, and you could say he was lucky that Haaland didn't put it either side of him. But I think you've got to give credit to Courtois. But the second save, Tom, um, Erling Haaland, it was a header. He did absolutely everything right. He he drilled his header back across the goalkeeper from from the direction it had come from. And uh, Courtois stuck out a hand it was a magical hand nobody I thought it was in I was half off my seat Um and then I thought wow after that second save and having seen the domination of the first 15 minutes and thinking it's still nil nil are Manchester City, Manchester City going to get frustrated a bit like they did in the first leg and will Real Madrid be able to find a way back into the game but um it wasn't the case it really wasn't the case. Manchester City kept on turning the screw, which means to mean to, means to apply more and more pressure. And um, it wasn't just the first 15 minutes. At half time, Manchester City had had 196 touches in the final third, and Real Madrid had had 10 touches in the final third. At half time, it was 72% possession um, to Manchester City, and I mean, I I sent out a text message to some of my friends. After about fifteen minutes, after the first goal, and said, "This is going to be three or four nil to Manchester City," because it was exactly the same feeling I had watching Arsenal Manchester City very recently. These
1: statistics you're describing are reminiscent of when a uh, a top class. Premier League team might play a team from the fourth division or even from the Conference League, which is, uh, in English football, lower than four divisions down. Uh, it's unbelievable to hear these statistics against Real Madrid, arguably the best team in the world, which raises the question, Tim, were Manchester City that good or did Real Madrid not show up? What, what happened?
0: Well that is that is the 100 million dollar question nobody can you can't really know but i'd like to say that um that it was a manchester city performance because um i do think i think real madrid are the kind of side that if you give them a tiny bit of an opportunity in a game if you let them build confidence if you let them find a way to to build possession and create chances then they do have the quality to kick into gear uh which means to find their rhythm um and manchester city simply didn't give them that opportunity In fact, one of the questions I've I've written for myself on my notes are, was this Real Madrid or a newly promoted team? And it really was like that. I mean, you could think about some of the Premier league matches this season between Manchester City and maybe, I don't know, a Nottingham Forest or something like that. And they were very comparable. Uh, There was literally no chances, Uh, real, really good clear cut chances for Real Madrid. Uh, Cruz did have a long range shot. Um, In the first half, while it was still, uh, I can't remember if it was 0-0 or 1-0 Manchester City. And that was tipped over the bar by Edison. And when I say tipped over, it means you touch it with your fingertips, which are the end parts of your finger. Um, And it was a good strike. And I think if that had gone in, um, Real Madrid would have had that confidence boost that they needed. But it wouldn't have been a fair reflection. Uh, of what we'd seen uh, on the pitch. Um, And to be honest, just to put this result in context, the last time Real Madrid suffered such a bad defeat in Europe, I believe it was... uh, 5-0 5-0 against AC Milan in 1989. And that AC Milan side was one of the great European sides in history. Um, and uh, and I think we might be thinking about something similar with Manchester City. I mean, objectively, they reached the final two seasons ago. They reached the semi-final last season. And it was really, it was a miracle that they didn't beat Manchester United, uh, Manche- uh, Real Madrid last season. Manche- uh, they depended, uh, I mean, their Rodrigo moment late into injury time. And then in extra time uh, was what did for Real Madrid. Um, And those miracles weren't there this season. Um, Just to put like city, it's not a one-off performance. Nobody's surprised They're They're 26 games unbeaten at the Etihad stadium. They're 23 games unbeaten in all competitions, home and away. Um, I, I, I think, Tom, I, I really what I want to know is why I didn't back Manchester City uh, last week <laughs> when we made our predictions, because thinking about it, I should have done um, my football brain was probably telling me to back them. But I think I've just been, you know, all those miracles from Madrid, all those rabbits out of the hat um, makes you start to believe the the narrative that Madrid can do anything in any in any position.
1: That's a good point, really. And uh, we know, I, I, I was making the comment shortly before the game, any one of those 22 players turning up at that game last week had the power, had the capability to be a match winner. You know, As we noticed, even a, a goalkeeper like Courtois, who you've already mentioned, was arguably the match winner last season in the Champions League final against Liverpool. So there is enough talent on the field that you don't want to Rule out Real Madrid, but you know, statistically, when we look at the performance of Real Madrid over this year, you look at their failure in La Liga. Uh, they did win La Copa del Rey uh, last uh, a couple of weeks ago against Osasuna, but it has been a disappointing season for them in comparison with Manchester City, who are doing what they have done consistently for the last five years, which is get momentum at the right time of the season. They're always strong coming through. It t- t- tends to start at about February and uh, they're peaking you know, in terms of their form. Their form is peaking at just the right time. Uh, it raises the question for me, Tim, you, you watch the game, is this Manchester City bet team better than previous Manchester City teams? Because I think there is an argument to say yes on the way they took apart Real Madrid.
0: I think they are at this point in the season. I think if you'd have asked me this um, in January or in February, I might have said that, no, they weren't because they were relying on moments of individual uh, genius or, or dominance from Erling Haaland. And also their kind of passing game, but the two didn't really fit together. But I think what's really happened over the last two or three months is they have found a way to get the best out of Haaland, not just in terms of scoring, but in terms of... Uh, moving the defence around, dragging defenders with him, creating space for other players. Um, and Erling Haaland didn't score in either of the two matches against Real Madrid, but that's not to say he didn't have an influence on the game. Um, so I, I, I would say they arguably are, Tom. I think they're the complete side. I think previously you could have criticised Manchester City for wanting to score the perfect goal um, and maybe uh, teams could sit back against them and get lucky, maybe maybe score on the counter-attack but i think two things have happened one is the harland integration but also think the uh, the kind of flexible role that uh, the john stones is playing has really um really changed the way this manchester city side uh play and create an overload in the centre of the park. John Stones, of course, all of our listeners will know, is a centre-back. And when Manchester City don't have the ball, he plays as a centre-back. But on the ball, Manchester City become a three-man defence and John Stones pushes on into midfield and uh, creates a a double pivot with Rodri. And his passing is very good. His ball control is very good. And it just means that it means players like Gundogan uh, and De Bruyne have zero defensive responsibility, can really focus on getting into dangerous areas to receive possession in between the lines. Bernardo Silva can do the same. Jack Grealish can stay wide, stretching the pitch. Um, And once you've got the pitch stretched and then an Erling Haaland in the middle, it means that the defence is stretched. There's going to be spaces somewhere.
1: You're describing tactically an innovation uh, that Pep has made to this Manchester City team this season that's working very well that previously we have seen with teams like uh, I think Shakhtar Donetsk uh, employed this tactic previously where they it wasn't quite the same they would really send their full backs the, that's the, the player on the left and the right uh, of defence they would push forward into attack for Shakhtar Donetsk and one of their midfielders would drop back to make a back three uh, but that fluid change of formation uh, from a back four when you are defending the ball to a back three when you're attacking uh, is certainly the way the game seems to be going. And I expect more and more teams to adopt this tactic in the future.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it's all very well to say more teams will adopt this tactic, but it's incredibly demanding technically on the players. I mean, John Stone's I think for any other team could be a midfielder um but it, it, as i say with this in this role you you basically need to be a top class defender and a top class ball playing um midfielder we've seen it sometimes kind of in reverse we've seen uh Defensive midfielders drop back into defence. For example, Mascherano for for Barcelona for that great Barcelona side, uh, and even Rodri sometimes for Spain. Um, but to see it in reverse isn't so common, and it just creates a fluidity and, as I said, uh, a, a dominance in terms of numbers in the centre of the park, which basically means Manchester City are impossible to press. Um, they've always got an out ball. And I think that was the main difference between the two sides over the two games. Uh, Manchester City's press was successful. Um, you had players like Danny Carvajal. Who, uh, who I think was hiding from the ball. Uh, he was told to come deep to try and receive passes off Courtois, off Militao, and he wasn't coming deep. You can see he didn't want the ball. And then when Real Madrid did have possession, he wasn't pushing forward to try and make an attacking run either because he was scared about the th- Threat, uh, of the Manchester City counterattack, so essentially through through dominance and the and the psychological effect of that dominance, you had Real Madrid players hiding, which I don't think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've de- I've never seen Real Madrid players make so many simple mistakes. Uh, Valverde passing it out of play, Benzema heavy first touches, Modric ino- anonymous. Uh, Tony Cruz um, subbed off very quickly. I mean, if we look at some of the changes that Real Madrid made, um, they took off Modric after 63 minutes. They took off Cruz after 70 minutes. That's that's the midfield that's won them, I think, four or five Champions League substituted. Ancelotti was desperate come the second half of this match. He was trying to change the momentum of the game and there was just nothing he could do. It was absolutely incredible performance from... from, from um, from Manchester City. Let's focus a bit on the goals because um, we haven't really spoken about them. Bernardo Silva, if you were to uh, ask Pep Guardiola who his favourite player is, I think he would either say Bernardo Silva or uh, Gundogan because they're such technical players, able to receive the ball in so many difficult, tight situations, but they've also varied. They, they can score goals, they can pass, they can, they can track a man. I mean, Bernardo Silva's only small or, or slight uh, to be slight means to be kind of lightweight, but that doesn't mean he hasn't got a nasty side. He can leave his foot in. He knows how to use his body to regain possession. And and Gundogan's the same. I would agree with
1: that. Bernardo Silva is a player who flatters to deceive, uh, which is an expression meaning that he's, better than he appears to be. Uh, And you see that in the games with how busy he is. Technically on the ball, he looks very good, but he's not, his stature his speed his frame by stature i mean his body size he doesn't look like the 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 super specimen of a footballer that he truly is but you can see how good he is and how much pep guardiola respects him because he's keeping riyad mares out the team and riyad mares has arguably had uh one of the best seasons probably since he was at Leicester City in terms of his contribution with crosses and goals. So I, I'd agree with you that. And and w- with regards to Gundogan, yes, there is there's something about him. He's such a technical player with his turns, with his ability to, to lay a pass off. I was complimenting the pass he made for Kevin De Bruyne's goal last week as well. Uh, And he's a player who's in the goals and he's in the assists a lot more than you'd expect because he doesn't seem like the fastest player. He doesn't seem like a naturally attacking player yet. He's always there in the danger area,
0: ready to make an important contribution towards the goal. Yeah, he certainly is. You've got to remember he was captain of a great Borussia Dortmund side. Uh, He was really their talisman, meaning their representative on the pitch. Um, And, and, uh, and he, he, you could, say he plays within himself for this Manchester City team. He knows his role and he doesn't really go into areas of the pitch where he's not asked to do anything. I think he plays a more limited role than he played at Borussia Dortmund but that's because he's got quality all around him. I tried to make a list of some standout performances and I wrote Kyle Walker for i think uh, vinicius didn't manage to dribble past him in either of the two games against real madrid bernardo silva rodri is just a, a player who keeps the rhythm going for manchester city he's uh, he's he's pep guardiola's uh, uh, kind of representative on the pitch uh, i think you get the impression that uh, pep is able to orchestrate the game through rodri but then after after those three players i wrote everyone and and i think that is the secret with this manchester city side it's sometimes they can be criticized for playing a, and i've criticized them previously for playing a style of football which is so technical and so complex that under great pressure it can break down but i think this was an example of where all of the all of the pieces all of the different kind of dimensions that they have fell into place and for any of those players to play the way they played it means that the people around them were in the areas they expected them to be playing the the pass into the right place at the right time with the right speed on it um i think you some of these manchester city players you could almost say they could shut their eyes and play with their eyes closed because they know where where their teammates are going to be um and that's got to be credit to pep guardiola and his team and his work on the training pitch and um and his insistence on a style of play um and i think also some credit to pep guardiola because over the over previous seasons there has been a criticism that he's received that he's overthought things and in the biggest matches he's maybe made some changes that haven't haven't really been his his normal starting elevens. I know when he when they played the Champions League final against Chelsea, they started without a defensive midfielder. I know they've started without a with Gabriel Jesus on, in wide areas previously when he's been playing in the league up front. Uh, and Pep has tended to uh, overthink things in the Champions League when under great pressure. But this time, he backed his team, he backed his tactic, and it really worked. Um, on the flip side, Tom. Uh, when I say on the flip side, I mean, on the other hand, I, I'd like to... What do, what do you think? Is this the end of the road for players like uh, Modric, Benzema, Cruz? I know Modric uh, has been offered an extension on his contract. There's talk about one or two seasons Um Bearing in mind that they did require such miracles last season to, to win the, the Champions League, you could argue that um, that maybe actually they were over, over the hill uh, a year ago. And to be over the hill means to be past your best. Can you see uh, Modric, Benzema and Cruz getting back to their best? Or do you think it's time for Real Madrid to... Uh, to transition towards a more young midfield based on some of the players they already have in the squad like Cavani Cavaninga Cavaminga uh, and uh, uh obviously they're interested in Bellingham as well do you think this is the end of this generation tom
1: i think it is tim not only the players you've mentioned i i, I do agree with keeping them particularly someone like modric for an extra season even if he's not going to play so much keep him out of the important games in the Champions League, but keep him there on the training ground, keep him there in the dressing room. A player like that with their experience uh, is is going to have a big uh, impact on the, the, the squad around him. But I, I feel these players, yes, you, you just can't expect to maintain the same level of performance when you're into your late 30s. It's amazing how... Uh, you know, I say that as Inter Milan are in the final now with players like Edin Dzeko, and you know they've got plenty of over thirty-year-olds. Uh, who's who Bacattari. of
0: rejects?
1: That's right. You know, players well into their thirties now. So it's clear that the the technology, the the health, the nutrition, the 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 teams at these clubs are there to help these players keep going, playing at a very high level. However. If they're coming up against a 21-year-old, like a Vinny Jr. with a lightning pace, they're not going to win those battles anymore. So I think that Real Madrid's going to have to get rid of those... not maybe immediately, but they're going to have to bring in some big names. I agree if they can keep Chua Maney, he could take the place of someone. There's talk of Jude Bellingham. Uh, a player like that could make a big impact at Real Madrid, but they, they need to... Uh, Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti will probably have to go as well, I think. I think that the fact that they were out of the league title race from, from November, it was uh, all for Barcelona, really. Uh, the writing's on the wall. There's going to be some big changes at Real Madrid in this summer, I think.
0: Yeah. Writings on the wall I means all the signs are there. I think this is the end of the road for Ancelotti. He's not known for, uh... For for his uh, reshuffling of teams or or re- regeneration of squad uh, of squads, he's more known for getting the best out of the, of, of, of of top quality players who are there. Um, I think it's harsh though. He's had a great run as Real Madrid manager, um, and I think it's also potentially an example of some poor planning from Real Madrid. I think the the, the biggest names are in the managerial market, uh, Pochettino, has already signed uh, for for Chelsea. I think Nangelsman has ruled himself out of the Real Madrid job, although I'm not 100% sure if that's confirmed. So I don't really know where they would go next after Ancelotti. But uh, you know what it's like at Real Madrid, Tom, if you don't win it then you're sacked. Uh, I think Fabio Capello has been at Real Madrid manager twice. He's won the league twice and he's been sacked twice that summer. So uh, that says it all. If winning the league's not enough, then coming second in the league a long way off your greatest rivals and getting humiliated in the competition that you cherish most is uh, definitely not going to do it for him. Um, but Tom, just just to finish on this game... Um, Do you think this Manchester City side will go on to win it? Um, They only need one more. Game of the last, they only need to win one more game from the last three in the Premier League to win the league. And of course, they've got Manchester United in the FA Cup final. Uh, the treble of the English League, the English Cup, and the European Cup has only been done once in the history of English football by Manchester United in 1999. So, of course, the motivation for the Manchester United players in that FA Cup final will be huge. Uh, Eric Tan Hag's team talk has been done for him. Um, but do you think this Manchester City side will? go on to win the treble? I do.
1: I I wouldn't bet against them. Uh, Manchester City, sorry, Amanda, you talked about the FA Cup against Manchester United. Manchester United really peaked back in February or March. They were looking very good just after the World Cup, but They seem to be, as we have mentioned, that expression. uh, They've got one eye on their summer holiday in Dubai. They're they're not playing with the same intensity. They've lost some form. They've lost some momentum. So I expect Manchester City will be too strong for United. And then we've got this European Cup final, which, of course, won't be at the Etihad Stadium. It will be in Istanbul, I believe. So the venue will be more favourable. Yeah, you know, potentially even to to the Inter Milan. Uh, the climate will be more similar to Italy. However, uh, when you look player for player at the two lineups, meaning the team sheets in that final, uh, you would probably take the Manchester City player over the Inter Milan player uh, for every position on that field. You know, at least ten of the eleven positions. So I think they have to be strong favourites for
0: both. Yeah, I think so too. Just in terms of putting the domination into context, when Manchester United uh, won the treble, in uh, 1999 it wasn't all plain sailing which means an easy run I remember that season like it was yesterday because it was Arsenal that suffered greatly Um, Arsenal lost the penultimate game of the season to Leeds United a Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank goal in the 85th minute and that was the only reason Manchester United went into the last day of the season on top of the table and uh, even on that last day of the season they had to overturn a one goal um, lead uh, for Tottenham and To be honest, I think Tottenham let them get back into the game because Tottenham didn't want Arsenal to win the league that day. Uh, And then the Champions League final, of course, they were 1-0 down against Bayern Munich and it was uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, Teddy Sheringham's goals uh, in the 90th and 93rd minutes that took them to victory. So I don't think it was a dominant league performance or European Cup run like this Manchester City um, side have shown this season. Um, Tom... Let's talk a bit about Inter Milan, AC Milan. I did watch bits of the match, but I was also um, feeding babies and um, dealing with all sorts of things that I've never dealt with before in my life. Although I did watch the first leg. And from what I get, gathered from the second game, it was a question of Inter Milan knew the hard work was done. Um, and AC Milan didn't have any surprises, didn't have any great dangers. Raphael Leao, who had, of course, had missed the first game, was back for that second leg, but they weren't able to really create any danger for Inter. And like the last 20 minutes of the first game, you felt that Inter Milan were just managing the game and would have been able to up the speed if they needed to. So I think it is an exciting Champions League final, but I think the the big favourite will be um, Manchester City.
1: No surprise to hear you say that about the Milan derby, because... I felt watching the first leg that a psychological battle had been fought and won convincingly by Inter Milan, particularly in the first half of that game. They assumed their superiority tactically as a team. They were able to attack and penetrate through the AC Milan midfield and defence fairly comfortably, fairly easily. In contrast, AC Milan were... Puffing and panting, which expressions meaning that they were breathing in and out very deeply, working very hard, but going nowhere. So it was clear that Inter Milan already knew exactly how to play to, to get the performance they needed to go through to the final. So I, I, I'm not surprised by the result at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, and just before we get to uh, the highlight of your week, let's focus a bit on the Europa League. Of course, uh, Jose Mourinho, I don't know how many European finals he's got to now, but you've got to take your hat off and give it, give him some credit. He really knows how to get the best out of uh, his teams in European football. And let's uh, not forget that Tammy Abraham, if he were to win the Europa League, will become the first player to win the Champions League, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League and the Europa Youth League. So um, that would be quite an achievement for such an average player um sorry Tammy and of course in the second match uh, Sevilla Juventus um I think no real surprises that Sevilla went through for anyone who watched the first leg they were they were definitely the better side in Turin so this leg this game being back in Spain um in fact the only surprise was that it went to extra time and it was so tight Juventus um you know did better they they scored the first goal through vlavic uh, but suso in the in the got got severe back into the game and then tottenham fans will know eric lamella uh, managed to produce on probably the biggest stage of his career to uh, to put severe into the final and severe have got that europa league pedigree haven't they uh, if you think of uh, Lopetegui, unai emery they've they've had so much one, success Juan de ramos Juan de Ramos, I think they've won the Europa League more than any other side. Um, so you certainly wouldn't back, you certainly wouldn't go against them. But saying that, you've got Jose Mourinho on the other side. So Tom, prediction for Roma against Sevilla, please. Prediction.
1: Now, Sevilla, it, this is a, a very tough one because Sevilla seem to have an incredible momentum. Uh, you know, they have that spirit of the underdog because their season has been so poor up until their new manager has stepped in in March. Uh, In contrast, though, Jose Mourinho has that European pedigree. He knows how to get the best out of his players at his disposal, and he knows how to manage a game very well to nullify the opponent. So for me, the experience of Mourinho is just going to edge it on this one, and Roma are going
0: to win their second European trophy in two years. OK, Tom, so let's get to the part of the night that you've been looking forward to then. West Ham AZ Alkmaar. Glorious scenes for the West Ham fans and West Ham players. Also some slightly or well, not slightly incredibly concerning scenes at the final whistle with some crowd trouble, which we will come to that. But first, Tom, what's your what, what your what are your feelings? Uh, first European final in your lifetime. Um, how did you feel? How did you celebrate? Uh, yes. Tell me all about it.
1: Uh, it, it was a bit nerve wracking when there's only one goal between the two teams. It's always going to be that way because, you know, every time they attack, you you sense that, you know, the game is is uh, balancing on a on knife's edge, as we say, an expression meaning that one goal and suddenly everything changes. However, West Ham did defend very, very well. Tactically, we set up a low block, a, a low block, Lock describes really when we're defending deep with a a back four and then a midfield in front of the back four, but fairly close to them. So there's a limited amount of space to work through and it works very well. Uh, Alkmaar are a possession team. They've got some fantastic players. Uh, Carlson came back on the left wing. He was looking very dangerous. Uh, Their captain, Classy, looks very good. Reinders impeccable in his passing as well their young central midfielder so they had good players they had a i thought a very solid defense as well they're two fullbacks i give them credit Kirkez stopped bowen on the right uh and sugarwara stopped ben rama on the left but they couldn't attack they couldn't get through our defense uh and that's a credit really to our defenders zuma has been I'm using the word again impeccable for the last part of this season he didn't put a foot wrong nor did Declan Rice it was a superb captain's performance everything he did was was just you couldn't you couldn't ask him to make a better decision every single time he was on the ball so we were pretty effective in stopping them uh, and it worked out in the second half they had more possession they had A couple of dangerous uh, crosses going across the box uh, from Kirkes on the left. But we had more dangerous chances, actually, on the counter-attack. And it got right to extra time in the 92nd minute where they were tired. They were pushing forward. And uh, Pablito Fornells, our substitute, uh, knocked the ball past Classy, went through on goal and, and slid it into the corner. And just great relief jubilation joy all around for all of us hammers uh except for those ones in the stadium as you mentioned Tim. immediately after the whistle uh did you hear about what happened
0: yeah i did um the az altmar ultras broke down a barrier and it invaded the uh the the family enclosure the players family and friends enclosure nasty scenes um such such to the extent that the i mean maybe you didn't see this live because you were off celebrating but I was listening on the radio and heard it reported live and um yeah to think that friends and family of, of players can go to a match and and be in danger is a horrible thing to to think Um, I've seen quite a few problems with the Dutch league this season, pitch invasions. I think there was a goalkeeper who was punched. I think uh, a match was cancelled recently for a bottle was thrown onto the pitch. Um, And it seems to be an increasing problem. We've also got Eddie Howe, who was recently pushed whilst in his managerial area uh, in the premier league. Um, It seems to be a problem. And I think uh, the footballing authorities need to come down hard. I I don't know if there was any, um, I, I hope there were no kind of serious injuries among the the West Ham uh, fans or, or friends or, or family of the of the players, but it's ugly scenes, Tom. It's not what we want to see in football, and we need to take measures to stop it.
1: I was watching, but obviously the TV cameras didn't highlight this, what was going on in the corner, but we could see the concern on the, the faces of the West Ham players and 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 their team there, obviously knowing that their friends and family were in that part. Uh, I understand that it was about 30 AZ Alkmaar fans who pulled on black balaclavas and black hoodies and then launched an attack. They broke down a gate to try and get into the, the West Ham away fan enclosure. And there were a few brave West Ham fans Tried to stand up and defend, uh, you know, stop them getting through. But I also understand that there was no police there. There were some stewards, but the stewards were hopelessly outnumbered. Uh, AZ Alkmaar, the club, have apologized to West Ham, to the fans. They say they will deal with the matter. So it seems that, uh, you know, punishments will come. Hopefully, these fans will never, these hooligans. Uh, from Alkmaar will never set foot in their stadium again. Uh, with the amount of cameras that will be on them, I would expect they can be successfully identified even with the black, the balaclavas on. So uh, it was very ugly to hear about that. And perhaps it's a reflection of, uh, you know, the, the slightly more chaotic times we're living in now in our society, because there seem I don't know if it's because everyone's got a smartphone, but it does seem to be that violence is a bit more prevalent than it used to be
0: yeah i couldn't agree more um i think it's the you've seen an upsurge an upturn in violence post covid post the pandemic i think people being locked away in their houses um and a lot of people being very angry about that for an extended period of time um there is a strong correlation between uh the covid period finishing um and uh, and this kind of increased violence uh, prevalence of violence in football i don't think it's a reaction to the vaccine um but it could be a, could be a side effect i you can never tell but tom um just having a look at the premier league title uh, Table here. West Ham sitting comfortably six points off the drop. I believe they were able to make six changes last weekend in the Premier League. Um, You're in your first Europa European final in your lifetime. I mean, is this the most? Could this be the most successful season in your life as a West Ham supporter?
1: If we win a European trophy, then uh, I will have to. Eat all those nasty words I said about David Moyes earlier in the season, Tim. I, I was expressing a lot of frustration with the tactics, with the counter-attacking style of football, uh, with not really having any special ideas or anything innovative. By innovative, I, I felt like he was too predictable, David Moyes, not creative. However, uh, I tip my hat to him. If if we can win this trophy, assuming we will lose Declan Rice in the summer, no problem. We'll get in plenty of good players to replace him, I'm sure.
0: So, yeah, Tom, after this magical result and the way David Moyes has been able to turn around the season, um, I've got two main questions, really. One is, should he stay and be backed by the board? Um, the, the owners wanted European football at the uh, the London stadium again, and they've got it. They've got successful European football. Um, and... Uh, and secondly, if he weren't to be, if he weren't to stay, if he were to be sacked for the style of football, who would want to go to West Ham knowing that they're not a, the biggest club in London? They're not like one of the top teams in English football. And a manager like David Moyes has gone in there, had some really good seasons. He's had, I think, two or three top 10 finishes. He's now had some really good European um Runs not just this season, but also the the previous two seasons, I believe. So, what kind of a manager? Would you, it's a lot of pressure on a new manager to come in, knowing that your previous guy's done objectively a good job and still lost his job. So, Tom, do you think he should uh, should stay and and be backed and just accept this kind of football? Because today you called it a low block, but previously I've heard you call it defensive football with no no attacking intent. So. I mean, you. I mean, I, I know sometimes a low block when the other team stop you, you know, score a goal, and then you don't have the players on the pitch to create any danger yourself can look like no attacking intent. But on the other hand, you could say that he's able to make West Ham perform above the the collect the, the kind of individual pieces they've got on the pitch. So, what do you think, Tom?
1: That final comment. He's able to make West Ham perform above the individual pieces they've got on the pitch. I actually disagree with that. When I look at the amount of money that West Ham have spent on their squad, uh especially in the last five years, uh, I believe that, you know, their performance has been what you would expect. We are we I believe in terms of spending, we are in the top 12 clubs in the world for the amount of money we we have spent on players recently. So we certainly don't consistently perform like a top 12 team. Uh, should Moyes stay or go? I'm still inclined to say that we do need someone fresh, Tim. I, I'm not as convinced as I was a few months ago, because if Moyes does win the trophy, then I have to start thinking, well, you know, he's... He, He's given us success for the first time since 1980. Uh, However, just like we were talking about Manchester City, you know, moving John Stones into midfield when they've got the ball and having an extra hem drop back into defence when they don't have the ball. I want to see these kinds of innovations happening in the tactics at West Ham I don't
0: think David Moyes is the man to deliver them. Uh, no, I he... agree. I agree he's not the man to deliver them. But realistically, who in world football is? You've got Pep Guardiola, he's not going to West Ham. You've got maybe Nanglesman, uh, maybe Klopp. But they're, you're they're looking, you're looking at the top, top, top drawer of football managers. Um, and unfortunately for West Ham, they're not really going to be attracting um, that kind of manager. And what, what do you think about my other question about if they were to sack him, what kind of message would that send to any incoming manager
1: well I think uh, that second question is part and parcel of the modern game you know you uh, you make a good point you sack a manager who has just won the trophy but you did point out that Real Madrid did that with Fabio Capello after he won the league a couple of times so it's not unusual in the modern game that managers they don't stay for a long time and uh you know, I think it's part and parcel of the business that any manager taking that job will know that they're only a run of six bad defeats in a row from getting the sack anyway. So I don't think sacking him will have an effect on the the prestige, the respect that the club has. Uh, I I do think that, uh, you know, we're not going to get one of those big names you mentioned just yet, but it is possible, uh, going back to a club who have waxed lyrical about meaning I've talked very highly of teams like Brighton can find very good managers Uh, I believe they got Di from Shakhtar Donetsk there are other managers performing across the European leagues Uh, by performing I mean over-performing with teams in relation to, to the quality of those actual players as individuals. So I think West Ham, we probably need to change something within our board, within our, within our management, but we should be looking at how Brighton are doing things and looking to adapt and copy their model. And then I think we could find a talented manager, not a big name manager, but a talented manager who could make us better in possession with the ball.
0: Yeah, fair enough um i can't really argue with anything you're saying there i just think um you when a manager has success you need to stick with him especially considering you might be losing declan rice this summer to lose your captain and your manager um in the same season and they're both very british they're both very vocal and you can imagine in that changing room there there they would be it would be a lot of influence lost in the same summer um so tom looking forward to the final it's, uh, it's Fiorentina, uh, a European great. I remember Arsenal-Fiorentina in Champions Leagues with Gabriel Battistuta scoring for them. I mean, I've been to the, to the Florence Stadium. Uh, they're a wonderful set of fans. They'll definitely up for the match. Um, and you could argue West Ham, as you say, have got the bigger budget, but you, you would definitely also argue that Fiorentina have the more European pedigree, um, meaning they've got more experience and uh, possibly know-how At that level. So what do you think, Tom, going forward? Uh, Of course, um, Fiorentina in Serie A, um, they're they're ninth in Serie A, so they're not having a great season, but also they're not doing that badly either. So looking forward, what do you think think we can expect from the final? I
1: think that the best team, the best two teams did get to the final. First of all, I I watched the extra time with Basel and Fiorentina, and uh, it was clear that Fiorentina were on top tactically they were much better they had a lot more weaponry off the bench meaning they were making attacking subs who came on and make the difference players like Ikone or the, goal, the final goal scorer Barak uh, they of course have got one of the players of the World Cup Sofiane Amrabat controlling things pulling the strings in midfield uh, so I anticipate that West Ham will do their usual surrender possession. Fiorentina and Amrabat will be having the majority of the ball, uh, but West Ham will be dangerous on the break again. We've got, uh, you know, our, our front three, Antonio, Rama and Jared Bowen, are a handful for any defence. I don't care which de- defence you put in. Well, perhaps Manchester City could <laughs> control us, but a team like fiorentina i think we could be very very dangerous especially if pacata he wasn't quite finding his passing last night but if Paquita, uh is able to to deliver a big performance then i think that we we will beat fiorentina if our players deliver but i'm anticipating a close game i'm anticipating there will be nerves on both sides uh and actually i i think it's best for the tournament that the two seemingly the two best teams have made it to the final uh Yes, Fiorentina look good, but they look beatable. I, I should say, you are right, they're only eighth in the league, but they are having a very good season. They could win a cup double this year. I think they're in the final of the Italian Cup as well. Ah, so.
0: oh, nice. Um, yeah, talking about Italian football, you say it's good for the Europa Conference League that the two best teams have got to the final. I think it's good for world football that uh, an Italian team is in the Champions League final, the Europa League final, and the Conference League final. Italian football hasn't been at its best over the last ten years. It's been dominated by Juventus, who have never really, um, have never really played exciting football. And you see some of these emerging sides from Italy playing a new style of football, not the typical Italian football. Napoli, Atalanta, uh, Sassuolo on their day, um, and even AC Milan when they won the league last season. Um, it's good to see Italian football healthy um and it's great to see a league you know they've got it's not just one or two big clubs they've got the two milan clubs they've got juventus they've got roma they've got lazio they've got napoli of course um so it is an exciting league and to and i think the fact that it's moving away from this kind of defensive based football is only going to lead to greater things for Italian football. I think, uh, the international market will be more interested in buying TV rights for high amounts of money. So maybe they can start competing on a financial level with, uh, with Spain and, and, and of course the premier league. Um, Maybe
1: you're uh, old enough to remember, team, that that Italian football, it was the dominant league uh, in European football in the 1980s. It kind of had a a, a slow decline through the 90s, and then it had the corruption scandal with Juventus uh, around 2005, 2006. And it's taken a long time to recover, almost 20 years. But it does seem like now we have a renaissance of Italian football.
0: Yeah. And fair play because they're very passionate football fans. They love their clubs. And it's one of those countries, as I said, they've got six big clubs. That doesn't happen if, if you've got, uh, like in Spain a Real Madrid or a Barcelona dominance, uh, it's good for the ecosystem of football. When, when there's lots of, at the beginning of a season, you don't really know who's going to be up there. Um, I mean, look at Napoli this season. Nobody, nobody expected them to run away with it. Um, Tom it's been another great week of european football. Uh we've got the finals to look forward to and of course before then we've got uh, the uh, the run um, in um in in league title in the leagues all across europe and, and some cup finals as well so it's can, exciting can, times. Can Arsenal still win the league? Um we can we're not going to. Uh Manchester City <laughs> just have to win one of their last three games. But I I think Tom as I said earlier, this this Manchester City result against uh, Real Madrid shows that Arsenal have been competing with one of the greatest sides in the Premier League, definitely, in European football, definitely, possibly over the last 10, 20 years. I think anyone who who really kind of got involved in Real Madrid, Manchester City this week, I mean, I've heard people call it Pep Guardiola's greatest ever performance. Um, I mean, it's hard to say, really, because, you know, he had Messi and all those great players at Barcelona, and he had a very dominant side at Bayern Munich. But for it to be in that conversation um, shows that they really are uh, a juggernaut. Uh, they're unstoppable. So no, we're not going to win the win the title. I, I think Arsenal fans obviously are disappointed, but in the cold light of day, which means when you look at things in an objective way, we can all be very happy with our season. Nobody Nobody expected us to come second nobody expected us to to put the pressure on to 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 manchester city we're not like tottenham though we're not going to go out and celebrate coming second but at the same time um we shouldn't be too critical because we were we came eighth last season i oh, no sorry we came fifth last season and eighth or ninth the season before and our objective was just to compete for the top four this season um so tom Uh, I don't want to go down the Arsenal street today. So let's, uh, let's cut it off there. Let's cut it off there. To all of our listeners, I'd invite you all, I'd ask you all to get involved in the conversation, send us a question on any of our social media platforms, share our podcast with any of your friends who speak football in English too. And, um, and leave us a like or a rating. We'd absolutely love that. You do like a good rating, Tom, don't you?
1: I love a good rating or just, you know, a a quick tick of the five stars. Just a little press of that button. Five stars. I love that one as well.
0: Yeah, it really gets us going. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. European finals to come. See you next time. Bye bye.